Our grandfather took her to see Smithyland at Mascot Aerodrome, not far from where they lived in Coward Street Mascot. The excitement, wonder and historic significance of that outing stayed with her all her life. When we first heard the story, we were two kids growing up in Botany, where the airport was as much a part of our world as swimming in Botany Bay, taking the tram to Sunday school or watching the smoke billowing eternally from Bunurong Power Station. We thought church services everywhere paused for the planes to pass overhead during the sermon, and the way the crockery rattled in our auntie's dresser when planes passed over was one of the attractions of visiting her home in Wentworth Avenue mascot. As we approached our high school years, Mum looked for a job to help with the expenses of uniforms and books. She jumped at the chance to work at the airport when Qantas was recruiting for its staff canteen. The lunchtime hours suited her and by the time we got home from school, she would have a cup of tea and biscuits ready and we became the audience for her accounts of what the pilots and hosties were saying and doing and where they were going. We soon knew all about the history of Qantas and Ansett, what buildings were being erected and demolished, which planes were being retired or commissioned, and what the changes were on the overseas flight menus. Without us realising it, aviation was altering the landscape of our childhood. Wool washers, tanneries and market gardens gave way to freight depots, hotels, access roads, parking stations and the ever-extending runways. One Sunday in 1959, Mum took us to see over the new plane, the Boeing 707, set to revolutionise the long-haul routes with its high capacity and cruising speed of 960 kilometres per hour. We walked down the aisles and were confronted by the future, row on row of smart seats, little windows and the smell of new upholstery. Most of our grandparents' generation was born before 12th November 1894 when an Australian, Lawrence Hargrave, flew five metres in a sling seat attached to four of the box kites he had invented, proving flight was possible and providing a cornerstone for other inventions and pioneers. Many of the young men who enlisted in the Army in World War I saw the chance to join the Flying Corps as a wonderful piece of luck they would never have had the chance to learn to fly back home on the farm or in their city jobs. The majority of them died, in training, in battle, or just in the normal course of flying. The few who survived had mostly joined the Flying Corps towards the end of the war, and nearly all of them wanted the chance to keep flying as civilians. This small group became the foundation of the emerging aviation industry. They begged and borrowed money to purchase or lease surplus army planes after the war. They badgered governments for sponsorship. They dreamed of flying home instead of a slow return by troopship. Kingsford Smith, Ulm, the Smith brothers and Hinkler all learned to fly during the war. The Australian government had an inkling of the future possibilities when it offered a £10,000 reward for the fastest flight to Australia. The incentive worked. This was an opportunity for Australian servicemen still in Europe to keep flying and return home. Mail routes, charter flights, flying schools, air shows, aerodromes and workshops all sprang up thanks to these returned servicemen aviators. Few of them got rich, but mostly they earned enough to keep flying. 
Kingsford Smith spent much of his time chasing enough money to finance his next long-distance flight. Between the wars, civilians became excited by the idea of aviation, often through the enthusiasm and example of the veteran aviators. When, in 1925, the de Havilland Company manufactured a simple, serviceable light plane, the Gypsy Moth, it opened up opportunities for solo flying. An enterprising doctor in Darwin bought one to reach his patients, and soon after, the Bush Church Aid Society in Sojuna, South Australia, and the Australian Inland Mission in Cloncurry, Queensland, set up the services that grew into the Flying Doctor Service. Pilots like Briggs established mail services, and the seeds of tourism were sown by journalists like Francis Bertels, who chartered planes to go to places such as Alice Springs so he could write about the experience for a newspaper.